0: to have sung, isn't it, as we come before God's word together, and I'm sure it'll be helpful to you and helpful to me if you have it open in front of you as we spend a few moments thinking about that passage in John chapter 15. It's page 1083. John Piper is an American pastor and author, and one of his books Uh, has the uh, blunt title Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, In it he begins by telling the story of something that happened to his father uh, who was also a pastor. He says this, for me as a boy one of the most gripping illustrations my father used was the story of a man converted in old age. The church had prayed for this man for decades, he was hard and resistant but this time for some reason he showed up when my father was preaching. At the end of the service, during a hymn, to everyone's amazement, he came and took my father's hand. They sat down together on the front view of the church as the people were dismissed. God opened his heart to the gospel of Christ and he was saved from his sins and given eternal life. But that did not stop him from sobbing and saying as the tears ran down his wrinkled face and what an impact it made on me to hear my father say this through his own tears, I've wasted it I've wasted it. This was the story that gripped me more than all the stories of young people who died in car wrecks before they were converted. The story of an old man weeping that he had wasted his life. In those early years, God awakened in me a fear and a passion not to waste my life. The thought of coming to my old age and saying through tears, I've wasted it, I've wasted it, was a fearful and horrible thought to me. We all of us want our lives to mean something, to achieve something. And look, none of us know when we will die, but uh, for some, uh, perhaps particularly you guys in the youth group or or students, uh, you expect that there are many years ahead of you. Uh, What are your hopes for life? What do you want to get from life? Uh, My guess is that none of us are sitting here thinking, I want to be average I'd like a mediocre life, please. And yet, do we know what will make life more than average? What will make life worthwhile? A life worth living? Others will have more of life to look back on than to look ahead to. Well, what is your assessment? What are the things that really count, that really matter, that have made a difference? I have sadly taken too many funerals where in meeting with the family to plan for the service, uh, to try and find out from them things they would like me to mention uh, in in the words of tribute or eulogy, that they have struggled to give me anything to say. Uh, Sometimes two minutes is all it is needed to sum up a lifetime. That's not to deny their love or closeness. Uh, Those are real. The pain of bereavement all too real but it is a reflection of the fact that death, when it comes, so often makes a mockery of the things we waste our lives pursuing. In a hundred years from now, what benefit will it seem that we owned a big house or had a successful career or a golf handicap of six or that we had seen the world or that we would got a first or that we had many friends Is that as good as it gets? Are those things and others like them all we are to hope for? And of course it's a question that we have to answer not just at the end of life but at the start of every day at the end of every week have you had a good week? It's a question we often ask each other here over Spud Bar over a tea or coffee What are your criteria for answering that question when it comes? Have you had a good week? I'm not bad, I'm not too tired. Pretty good, I'm on top of the housework. Well, I certainly got a lot done. Oh, I had a great time on Friday, we had a good night out on the town. Is that enough? Add up 52 of those, is that enough from a year? Add those years up into a life. And will we be like that old man with tears rolling down our cheeks? In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his close friends and they are worried about the future. Jesus is leaving them. In less than 24 hours, he will be hanging dead on the cross and they don't know what to do without him. They're left wondering if the rest of their lives is going to be a missed opportunity. And so Jesus speaks to reassure them. Now two weeks ago we saw Jesus reassure them that his death was securing their place in heaven. Eternal life with God was what they had to look forward to. Last week we saw him reassure them with the promise of the Holy Spirit. God coming to live with them in this life. And now here he reassures them about their lives saying that their lives can be full and worthwhile and fruitful. That is God's desire for them, his desire for you and I here tonight. It is that we will live lives not of waste, but of enduring and eternal worth. And the key to it is Jesus. See verse 5? It's uh, printed at the top of the green handout, that will also help us as we go along. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If we want life to be productive, if we want to do something with it, if we want it to be worthwhile, then we need to trust Jesus. To remain in him is the way he puts it here. The alternative is to do nothing. Nothing of value. Nothing that lasts. The alternative is to live a life that wastes life. It's a bold claim that Jesus makes here, isn't it? Could it be true? If it is, how will that change our aspirations, our hopes for our children, our assessment of life so far, our to-do list for this week? It is true, says Jesus. Because like a vine to its branches, he is the source of life. And he is the source of a fruitful life. Now those headings that you'll see on the handout. So let's just consider those in turn. First, Jesus is the source of life. See verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Uh, Here Jesus is picking up on a common metaphor for God's people. Uh, In the Old Testament, Israel was often spoken of as a vine. Uh, Psalm 80 that we heard read out is one example of that. But we could look at Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Hosea. It's a wonderful picture. God's people as this living, growing, fruit-bearing plant. And yet each time that image was used of God's people, it was used in a disappointed way because God's people were not producing the fruit God required of them. So for instance, Isaiah 5 verse 7, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. But he looked for justice and saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. <laughs> they were supposed to be living at... A life of fruitfulness, the fruit of obedience to God, righteousness and godliness and joy in knowing him and following him. But it never happened. Time and again they turned away from the Lord and so became like a vine with no fruit. Fit only to be pulled out and thrown away. It's into that background of failure to be as we should be, failure to make our life count that Jesus comes and says that he is the true vine. On the one hand, it was true of him personally. Of all people who have ever lived, Jesus is the one who lived a life of perfect obedience to God. And his life was no waste. As Jesus dies on the cross, his final words were, it is finished. He'd completed everything he came to do. He had done the work of establishing God's kingdom forever. Yes, Jesus was the true vine. And yet it doesn't just point to his life. It points to what he can do in our lives. Because if he is the vine, then we are branches. And so long as we are attached to this true vine, we will be fruitful and have life worth living. That's why in these verses Jesus contrasts two types of branch. Um, On the back of the handout you'll see uh, them laid out in the diagram at the top. First there are those branches that remain in the vine. If they are connected to the vine, uh, they will be ones that bear fruit. Verse 5, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Those fruitful branches are then pruned by the gardener, the father, verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And that then becomes an ongoing cycle of pruning and growth and fruitfulness. So that in the verses we move from fruit, verse 1, to more fruitful, verse 2, to much fruit, verses 5 and verse 8. I will think about that pruning process in a few moments. But first let's think about what it means to remain in the vine, to remain in Jesus. It's the phrase that keeps coming again and again throughout the passage. In verse 9 it's expanded. It is to remain in Jesus' love. And what love is that? Well, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's what remaining in Jesus is. It is to keep depending on his death. His love for us written in blood. That's all you need. That's all you need. Just to keep trusting in the cross. That's what a Christian is. Someone who trusts in Jesus. That's why when we meet together we do regularly share communion that opportunity for each of us to come and to take bread and wine uh, that remind us of Jesus' body and blood and as we eat and drink we're saying I need Jesus' death for me. I rely on it. You may be kneeling down next to people you have nothing else in common with but this is what makes us united. We have that same trust in him and so we come shoulder to shoulder with each other because that is enough. That is everything. If you are a Christian here this evening, then you have everything for a fruitful life. You're right where you need to be, attached to Jesus, drawing your life from him. Stay there. Stay where you are. Stay where you are when it's difficult, when being a Christian leads to hostility or ridicule. Stay. Stay when being a Christian is a battle within yourself. Stay, remain in him. The alternative is disaster. Just have a look at the other type of branch. The branch that is not in the vine. That is trying to go it alone. This branch bears no fruit. Verse 4, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Then because they have no fruit, they are cut off. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And then they are destroyed. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. This is a stark warning from Jesus and we need to hear it. God has made us for a purpose, and that is that we will bear fruit. And if we don't, if we live our lives away from him, well then we face being gathered up by the Father and thrown away and burned. It's one of the many times where Jesus describes the judgment of hell. Don't cut yourselves off from God like that, or you will be destroyed. Now look, there will be those here tonight who are not yet a Christian and actually you know that you're not. Perhaps you're here tonight because you're consciously investigating the Christian faith. You are tremendously welcome. It is our privilege to have you here this evening. And let me say that whilst I hope that this does bring the seriousness of Jesus' claims into sharp relief for you, actually this warning is not primarily for you. No, instead it is a warning for those who seem to be in the vine, but who bear no fruit. That is, those who make all the show of being a Christian, of church attendance, of outward allegiance to Jesus. Those people who, time after time, perhaps come up and share in communion, are ready to say that they depend on Jesus' death for them, and yet is not really the case. You can tell, because they have no fruit. They know none of the fruitfulness of the Christian life. It is you I must warn. If being a Christian has not changed you, then you are not a Christian, however much you seem it. You can be here every week and not be remaining in Jesus. You can be involved in any number of ministries, yet not be remaining in Jesus. And the telltale sign is that being a Christian has made no difference to you. Oh, it's made a difference to your diary. It's made a difference to your social network, but it has not changed you. You are not being brought on into greater and greater fruitfulness, obedience to Jesus. If being a Christian has not changed you like that, then you are not a Christian. Does that mean that our obedience is what makes us a Christian? Not a bit of it. Have a look again on on that sort of diagram side of the handout and look at the the bottom where you see the two types of cleansing that Jesus speaks of here. As you look at that, let me read verses 2 and 3 again. Every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And the footnote at the bottom there explains that the word for prunes in verse 2 is the same word as for clean in verse 3. So God cleans the branches in the vine and yet they are already clean because of the word spoken to them. Uh, What's going on there? Well, the difference is that one is talking about our status before God and the other is talking about our obedience to God. Now look at the top graph uh, on that handout. That shows how our status changes. At conversion, when we turn to Christ, when we respond to the word of Jesus, the gospel, we are instantly made clean, changed from being not accepted by God, cut off from him, to being accepted and given new life with him. Why does it happen instantly? Well, because all of the work that achieves it has been done for us by Jesus. His death on the cross does that for us. But also, when we become Christians, another process begins. The bottom graph there. Our obedience. This is the pruning work of God. As he starts to work in us so that we bear fruit, so that we become more like Christ as we seek to follow him. Now, it's not a smooth process. The Christian life is marked by the ups and downs of our struggle against sin. Our obedience doesn't change our status before God. Jesus' death alone does that for us. But the two graphs always come together. And you cannot have the top one without the bottom one. You can't say, oh, I'm a Christian because I can tell you the date when I prayed a prayer. It doesn't make sense if it's made no difference since. You can't just have the top graph and then have your life remain unchanged. and that is great news because it means that if we are Christians if we are remaining in Jesus if we are attached to the vine fruit is guaranteed it's inevitable but as with all fruit it takes time to grow and so let's consider as well this fruit growing process Jesus is the source yes of life But he's also the source of fruit. He can make a life worthwhile. Every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 7 there. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Isn't it great that God doesn't leave us when we first become Christians? Now, instead, he starts a lifelong work in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit that we thought about last time. And that work is to transform us. And how is it that he prunes us in this way, that he makes us more fruitful? I'm sure there are many ways. Uh, Just this morning, if you were here, we were looking at Hebrews chapter 12, uh, where God can use suffering in our lives To shape us and transform us. But particularly here in John 15, it is God's words that do this work. It's mentioned there in verse 3 and verse 7. It's Jesus' words, it's God's words in the Bible that have the power to change us. Do you know that for yourself? It's the reason why reading the Bible should be hard. Do you find it hard? Its words should rub like sandpaper on our souls. Identifying where we're still living as though we didn't know God. Showing us the implications of what Jesus has done for us and challenging us to change. Does it do that work in you? Do we let it? Do we spend enough time reading it so that these challenges come? More than that, do we follow through on what we learn? Each time we come together on a Sunday and look at a chapter or or, or a part of a chapter, it should be changing us. We should be helping each other to drive home that application. Not allowing ourselves to, to forget or to move on to other things. And we need to pay particular attention to the things that we find difficult. Not concentrating on those parts which we agree with, where we're already smooth. No, that sandpaper needs to work over our rough surfaces. What is next on the list for pruning in your life and mine? It will be a painful process. But just look at what the result will be. On the one hand, it brings glory to God. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When people are rescued and then transformed, it brings glory to God. But also, it brings joy to us verse 11 I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete glory to God and joy to us that is a good week that is a life not wasted that is something of eternal value and worth so so remain in Jesus He's the source of life. And bear this fruit as he works in us through the Spirit, by the Word. Let's pray together.